0: you know, a couple words. What does seamless transition mean to you?
1: To me, I just feel like having someone, having a team of people working with a student, it just makes the seamless transition seem almost natural. I mean, we want, you know, our, to transition our kids so that they don't see a big change. It's not, I mean.
0: I think I heard the word in there that it's natural.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is, it just seems like a natural transition and it's something that when I started, it was just something that we did. And so it almost seems important to me that someone wouldn't do it this way, (laughs) that that it just works so well. And you have, um, I think in grad school, one of my professors talked about IEP teams and that everybody, when they come to the table, they're all there for that student and they want what's best for that student. And with seamless transition, it just it makes it it's a natural process that everybody's there and they all have their own skills and abilities to make it um, just this seamless
2: transition for these students.
3: This is Josh,
2: and this is Nicole, and you're listening to the Oregon Transition Podcast.
3: Brought to you by the T-TAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network, and professionals across the state.
2: We've got you covered from Portland to Ontario, from Hood River to Klamath Falls, from Seaside to Burns, and everywhere in between.
3: Welcome to another episode of the Oregon Transition Podcast. Nicole, how are you today?
2: I am spectacular and super excited to be here. We are here with one of my favorite people, Sarah Statham, the TNF for Region 1.
4: So I am the Transition Network Facilitator for
2: Region 1, which Region 1
4: is made up of Multnomah, Washington, Columbia, and Clatsop counties. And in a nutshell, my job is to improve transition services for students in those counties specifically to help make the process of going from school to adult life uh, go very smoothly.
3: Sarah, you have a lot of experience doing that, because prior to becoming a TNF, you were a teacher, and you were part of a very exciting pilot.
4: That's true. I was a teacher at the Centennial Transition Center in the Centennial School District, and I held uh, the job of um, working in the Transition Services for about nine years and we had the privilege of being part of a Seamless Transition pilot project that started in I believe 2013 where we were able to work with a variety of experts in the field and other agencies so we could learn how to all work together to make Seamless Transition a reality for students in Oregon.
3: And that's the topic of today's episode. We're going to talk about Seamless Transition, what that word means, what the process is, and how it can improve outcomes for your students.
4: Seamless Transition model can be implemented in any school districts that is providing, like all of our school districts that are providing transition services to students in Oregon. You can make it be what it needs to be for your students and the region and the location that you live in. It's it's adaptable, it's fluid. There are certain basic components that most of anyone who's implementing this model follow, but it's very it can be it can be adapted to meet your needs and meet the needs of, of your students.
2: And as an example of how it's being used now, we connected with friend of the pod, Donna Lowry, who is in Eastern Oregon providing services, who was able to sit down with a local educator who has implemented the seamless model into their school and talk about how that's working.
0: I'm here today with Wendy Burrell. She's the special education instructor for the grant ESD. We're talking today about Seamless Transition and I know previously you had a student in Long Creek who you accessed the Seamless Transition model. So how did that come about?
1: I think I was really fortunate that I started at the time that this was really um, all those community service partners were sort of new as well so we just kind of sort of just did it. Like we had a lot of support from the TNF team. And that's when I was, you know, asking questions with lawn. Um, how does this all work? I'm, I'm new to this and I needed support in how, how to even get it started. Um, and so with, with that support, I was able to involve all the community partners, um, just asking questions, seeing how does, how do they, how do what is their, what do their services look like? And what can we, coordinate on what do we need you know we what what is a school can we do um and then you know having their input in that sort of thing um so I really worked a lot with with uh, with lawn asking how to set this up who do we invite in getting the parent input who who are they currently working with and then getting all of those people to the table for the IEP meeting um, getting their input during the IEP meeting what sort of services can they offer what can we as a school do to help support those services and what can they do to help support us
3: Wendy's in Grant County which is one of the counties in eastern Oregon and she has a large team that she's working with to support our students
2: That's right. The seamless model is all about creating a team around students that are all supporting them on their path. Sarah, you've had experience in the seamless model. What does a team look like?
4: You're right. It does take a team. It's a group effort to help students to be make that transition from school to adult life successfully and particularly in employment. So the people that make up that team are going to be the student and their family. Key players are going to be the vocational rehabilitation counselor the service coordinator with DD or the personal agent with their brokerage, of course, the school and the instructors with the school and those. And sometimes you will bring in uh, job developers or YTP specialists to also be a part of the team that they can add to the conversation along the way. But it is a large team. It's a group effort. There's no one person doing doing all the work.
3: So that's a large group. Oftentimes, each provider has a slightly different process. How do they all collaborate?
4: It's true. Everybody does have a slightly different process, but that's also helpful because everybody is coming to the table with their lens and how they view um, the different aspects of, of the steps along the way to get this student to employment. And so it's helpful to bring everybody together at an agreed upon time and keep the student as the focus and discuss the different steps along the way. It's important to talk about what you as a part of that team can contribute and what you are hoping that other members of that team can contribute and to be open-minded and to learn from each other. I always appreciated the folks that were out in the community as they were learning about different jobs because they would look at things from a business lens. I'm the teacher. I'm looking at things through the educator lens. And so I would sometimes need input and information that they could provide to um, to me to that I could help students be better prepared along the way. It was it's all very, very collaborative and you all have to agree to work together.
2: One great thing about seeing a student through all of these different lenses that Donna asked Wendy about was how this influences her work and specifically when it comes to creating the IEP. Um, how were you able to uh,
0: use that seamless transition to help you write IEP goals?
1: Um, I really looking at, because as, as a team we met, we've discussed what, what our goals are for the student. What, what outcomes do we want when he was to graduate? What did, what did that look like? What did we want that to look like? And, you know, getting input from the family, getting input from all the community service partners, what sort of, um, what skills we needed to build moving up to that final goal. And so that's what we discussed and we talked about and we came up with these goals for the student it, to reach those post-secondary goals. What steps did you use
0: to um, help them along the way? What activities
1: did the school say, hey, we can do this? And we talked about um, different, different ways we could build some vocational skills within the school, what sort of activities we could provide then, and also what sort of job experiences we could Provide with the student with what sorts of things could we do in the community to um, help build and support and give him the opportunity to practice those skills we were working on within the school. We wanted to give him, you know, practice in the community um, and also uh, just job opportunities, you know, um, internships basically.
2: I really love how Wendy takes from the team when writing her IEPs and is able to set realistic and supported goals in her IEPs, and how she's been able to tap in to her school setting to support the growth of those work-based goals. Sarah, did you find when you were in the seamless process that you ever ran into anything similar? Definitely. So I have a
4: couple of times when uh, we were working to write goals and were helping students on their path to employment where say a job developer would come to me and say, you know, this student has this great job at Best Buy and their employer loves him. However, he's struggling with lifting technique. I don't know, maybe I'm not using the right words or maybe I'm just not, I, I can't seem to get him to follow my directions. Perfect. So I'm a teacher. I know how to break steps down. And so I took on that task and, and we worked together with the student to teach him how to properly lift boxes so that he would could do it safely. That poor student, I had that student moving boxes all over the CTC for, for days on end, but he, he learned what was expected. And another student who could do fine with counting, but she was struggling when she was being asked to count items that she needed to put into the display at the movie theater where she was working. And so we worked for her to count lots of different types of items so that she could generalize that skill to her workplace. So it was, there are a lot, a lot of conversations that would happen between the school and those that were starting to support that student in the workplace, in the community. And that, again, it's making that nice seamless transition. If we can all work collaboratively together, the likelihood and chances for success for those students skyrockets.
3: As a former transition teacher myself, my big fear was what was happening in my program wouldn't generalize to the work environment. And if you have these discussions with your voc rehab counselor and job developers, employment providers at these meetings, you can use the same language, you can use the same techniques so that it does generalize. And that's really important.
4: It makes it more meaningful. It makes the, the work that the student is doing have purpose that they can use what they are learning in the real world. And as a educator, I I want nothing else than for what I am teaching you to be valued and valuable in the workplace. And I don't always know what the workplace needs. So having that input from all those other people Just, it it made it a full circle. It, It really encompassed everything, it was wonderful.
3: And you giving that feedback on instructional strategies that work best for the student is going to be extremely valuable for those employment providers because you're seeing that student every day. You're the first relationship with that student.
4: Sometimes if job developers were struggling with communication or how to break down steps, I could show them examples of things that we had done um, in the classroom or visuals that we had used in the classrooms. that again, could then translate to the workplace. And then again, the student would be more, more successful.
2: So Seamless is all about building successful strategies as a team to support these students. Donna asked Wendy what the expected outcomes of this seamless process were for her students.
1: I think with being able to do a lot of job exploration with the students and finding out those skills that they like and they don't like so that we can help practice those skills and build those skills so that once they do graduate and they transition out of our our program, um, they already have some skills and abilities in the areas that they're interested in. And so there's not a, um, a period of time where they're still trying to figure those things out that we can, I mean, there's still that, you know, these are young students so that they don't exactly know what they want to be as an adult perhaps, but they do have some, Um, areas where they've been able to explore things and figured out, well, yeah, this is not right for, you know, I thought that I wanted to do this, but really after having this internship or getting to visit a job site, they realize that maybe this is not quite right for them. So it does give them an opportunity to explore different areas and then perhaps even explore an area that they never thought that they would be interested in. So there really is a lot of, um, I guess, career exploration, um, skills involved with different careers that we get to explore and hopefully give them a a better understanding of what they might want to do once they transition.
2: Wendy really talks about how the seamless process can be different for every student. Every student is at a different point in their path, and that's okay.
3: I've said this before, Oregon is an employment first state, which means that anyone who wants to work, can find work in a job that they're qualified for with the right supports. When we start talking about these students at these seamless meetings, not all the students we talk about have to be a VR client. Sometimes we talk about students well before they do a VR intake.
4: When I was at the Centennial Transition Center, what we found that worked for us was to have a standing once a month meeting with all of the important agency players to come to the table. And at that point, we could discuss a variety of students. We could discuss students that were already enrolled with VR and on uh, and actively seeking work. And we could talk about things that they needed. This way we could all share information together. We could talk about students that were new enrollees with VR and what are the different things. And again, the steps and the processes that those students needed um, For support on their path to employment. And then we would talk about students that were not yet enrolled with VR, but were going to be future clients of VR so that they could start to think about what are some things that the student would need um, and just start to gather a little bit of information about these students. And in doing that, by having this meeting, in my opinion, we were efficient with our time we covered a lot of different students in the time that we were all together. And it allowed all these different agency partners to start to think ahead and plan ahead for students that would be coming their way. And they would start to sort of get to know these students. And it was a system that worked really well for us.
2: That system is very similar to the one that they have in Grant County. And the next person that Donna was able to interview was Kathy Cook, who is a vocational rehabilitation counselor.
0: So I would like to know from your perspective, how do you see vocational rehabilitation
5: and partnering in the seamless transition? Oh, that's a great one. Um, working with students before they graduate or leave schooling is very important for VR to be involved in the process with IEPs, the transition. The plan, um, we've done person-centered plans that work out really nice to kind of help them, give them a guide to what they wanna do after their education is done.
3: Kathy just described several services that vocational rehabilitation can provide prior to a student becoming a VR client. One of those services is PRETs, Pre-Employment Transition Services, which you've heard Nicole and I talk about this before. Pre-ETS can be an amazing stepping stone to vocational rehabilitation services. One of the best ways that I've seen pre do this is doing some job exploration skills and connecting a post-secondary vocational goal to preferences, interests, needs, and strengths. Really helpful for the teacher, really helpful for the VR counselor.
2: And speaking of being very helpful, Kathy also mentions how helpful the seamless model has been in preparing her in writing her individualized plans for employment.
0: With what they're doing at the school, how does that help VR, if they're determined eligible, be able to write a case plan?
5: Um, It runs into it really smooth. It goes from the time that they leave school and they're established with VR already, they've uh, been found eligible and we've worked on a plan either before they leave school or we can process that right after to figure out what vocational goal they would like to pursue and then we support them with that.
0: When you think back on students that you may have met first attending an IEP to win you close their
5: case. How have you seen that change in that student? The growth, and I ask them all to come back, even after they're done, to please come visit and share their successes, ask questions, or if they feel that they need more support, so they can always come back to VR. Even after they've been successful, they've closed, they've rehabbed, and they would like to pursue more in the same job that they're doing, or maybe try working into a different area.
0: So if you could sum up, you know, in a few words Seamless Transition, when you hear that how do you um,
5: think of that in the perspective of VR? I would see Seamless Transition to be a partnership with the schools and the client and VR and trying to work towards the same goal, which is the person's choice of what employment they would like to have. And by doing that, it is a nice way to just keep moving on the same path that they've been planning on and working at all the skills and having a successful outcome with their career choice.
3: It is great to hear kathy talk about students returning to vr when they want to make a change in their employment
4: i agree josh i would always work to tell students that your first job does not have to be your forever job it's a starting point and that it is normal for most people to want to change jobs at some point in their life. So I am glad to hear Kathy talking about that, that students can go back to VR and can receive support and services when they would like to make a change. And the nice thing is that they will already know who their VR counselor is, where the VR office is located um, because they participated and got connected when they were still receiving school services.
2: Vocational rehabilitation is a lifelong service, and a lot of time that journey starts when you are in school, when you're trying to figure out what you want to do as you're becoming an adult. Donna was able to sit down with a parent of a student who has gone through this seamless process with the support of teachers and VR counselors and developmental disability services in that student obtaining their goal. So let's listen to what that parent had to say.
6: Um, Ethan, uh as I think is really common with special needs kids, um, there had been some rocky years of of uh not always seeing eye to eye with the team or whatever, you know, you know how you work it out. But by the time we got to that point, we had a really strong team, right? They all work together, we all were able to see eye to eye, there was, it, it. Wendy was amazing, like she had so much like energy, she was like in there like as an advocate, um, which was really a positive thing. And uh, so by that point I really felt like when we sat down and had that meeting, that we had a team that was 110% for Ethan, right? They were gonna help this kid. Um, honestly, uh, because of the level of autism that Ethan experiences, I I will admit to some skepticism of whether he would ever be able to engage in a meaningful employment, but none of these people doubted, and that helped me as a mom, you know, to kind of, well, maybe this is, yeah, and it it kind of drug me up to the point where I was like, we, we're going to actually make this happen.
3: Wow. I think that just illustrates the importance of communication and collaboration. We're really looking at a culture shift where anyone, regardless of barriers, can obtain employment. And we need to make sure that parents are hearing this message as well.
4: I agree. We need to make sure that we have high expectations for everyone. Everyone can go to work and It is our job to help find and find that path and and walk that path with them so that we can let them go at the end.
2: And that's what I love about the seamless model is that you can have one person maybe who's in doubt of a student's ability or path. But when you have so many team members from so many different agencies lending their supportive lens, it can really help change someone's mind about opportunities that are out there for these students and these individuals.
3: I agree. I say this all the time. If I didn't work as a transition network facilitator, I would be really confused and really unsure about how to navigate all the services that are out there. Having representatives from many different providers meet and talk about what they can provide builds this cocoon of support for any student. Ethan has a job. Ethan works in the restaurant and hospitality industry and his job was impacted by COVID.
2: While Ethan's job was impacted, his employer was flexible enough to be able to accommodate his needs during this stressful time so that he was able to maintain his employment Throughout this time, Donna was able to talk to Ethan's mom about how having this support in finding this job and sustaining this job has really impacted Ethan.
0: So if you could give a perspective on that school to work, so the last day of school looks like the first day of employment, how important is it? for a school, an organization, vocational rehabilitation to work on the seamless transition for that for that individual.
6: Right, very important, especially kids like Ethan who uh, disruption and routine can really throw them up for a loop. Um, for Ethan, it flowed very seamless because he'd been literally working that schedule here at school, and so when it flowed over into after school life, he was still working that same work schedule. He lost his school end, and COVID cut that even shorter than normal. But because he still had that core of work that continued on in a very similar manner, um, he. It I think it really helped his his transition, and I think for all kids, um, I would. I would really hope they would have that same kind of experience where as they get closer to the end of school they're moving toward more of a work day that is what they're going to look like on the other side so that there's not such a hard change in gears you know from one to the other and there's more you know for Ethan it was very comfortable I mean he was very comfortable at work and so as the school part kind of faded out he was he still had that other part that he was comfortable with. and I don't
3: know, I've just been really impressed by all the different people. That just reinforces the idea that it is great to have students working in long-term employment before they leave the transition program. While students are going to school the same time they are working, they get the additional support of their special ed teacher that they already have a great relationship with because they work with them every day they have the support of vocational rehabilitation support of the case management entity if they get those services all three providers can collaborate and communicate to provide the best support
2: yeah when a student leaves school without those supports in place it can be scary If you don't have someone that is is ready in that next step waiting for you, and all you've known is this wraparound supportive school, you can sometimes feel a little lost. And the Seamless Process supports students through that journey by making sure that they have those connections in place so that that next step into employment isn't quite so scary. Sarah, you know about that firsthand. I do. I can tell you my dream
4: came true when one of my students when I was teaching had to take the day off from work to come to his transition center graduation. I thought, there we go, victory. So I do, I do know some more about this from my experience with the Seamless Transition Pilot Project that I was involved with um, when I was with Centennial. Our data showed that in 2014, as we were just about to start embarking on this project, only 22% of students exiting the CTC were were exiting employed. No, you were either employed or you were, we were hoping you were going to connect to vogue rehab. We didn't do, we didn't help you with that very successfully. And over the years, we made progress slow and steady. And by the year 2019, we had 46% of our students were our exiting students were employed of them work on the path to employment. That means that they were connected to voc rehab and were actively looking for their first paid job. They were involved in all of that. And none of our students were exiting unemployed. It was amazing. It was was a real testament to the employment team and the teamwork and the effort put in by everyone uh, to help those students be successful.
3: So, Sarah, when you had a student that began long-term employment while he or she was still attending school, what did school look like for that student? How did you balance it?
4: It started to look very different for that student. Uh, We helped the student to understand that work was the priority; work is their end goal, and they often knew this. And so, but work, more work, meant less time at school. So there would be days where the student would only go to work and then they would go home. And then there were days where they didn't work that they would come to the um, transition center. And so we had to work that scheduling out with the family and out work it out with transportation. And it just, we made it very individualized. It was based on the students' needs and uh, we, what we needed to do to meet those needs.
3: What was the overall response?
4: Students and families often responded well to changes in the schedule. They understood that the need was there because again, work was the priority. And this also allowed the students and their family time to adjust to what life was going to be like when school services were no more, when their student exited school services. So it was not only a benefit for the student to get used to a new schedule, it was also helpful for families as they began to adjust to what life was gonna be like when, um, when school ended.
2: Family is one of the most important parts of the seamless process. They are the people that have always and will continue to be an essential part of a student's life. Donna was able to explore this topic a little bit more.
0: who might be hesitant in, uh, in and I think that's natural an for any parent is hesitant for that child to take that first adultish step. What advice would you give to parents to um, let their,
6: their child take their first step? Well, especially if you've got a vulnerable one, like one that can't talk, have a team you trust. When you're a special needs parent, it's just you, right? I mean, that's the idea that you get, right? Um, And a lot of times it does come down, and I'm a single mother, so it's even more just me. Um, Sometimes I feel like I'm, it's just me and Ethan, you know, against the world, and I have to protect him, and um, to have a team that you can trust, and you can let, I remember Ethan's first day of early intervention, I followed the bus to school and cried the whole way. Because I was so terrified. This five-year-old child with no verbal skills, I barely could get him to wear clothes, and I was sending him away to these strangers for hours. And um, of course, you get to know the teachers and they settle down. But that has been every stage of the way. Every time he gets a new personal support worker, every time he changes a new program, or every time he changes a new school, or new aid, there's that nervousness. So that, to get to that transition, have that team, the coach, the aide, whatever, people that you trust 100% so that you can let your child take those independent steps away from you. Um, which is really hard to even say for me because it's Ethan and I mm-hmm. this the world forever. I mean, we're already planning our sports car that we're gonna buy when it's just the two of us. But um, having those people you can trust to have your child's back too. Know, that you know that he's not going to be in a bad situation. Nobody's going. To, I mean, we worry. Is somebody going to say something mean to him? Is somebody going to exploit him? Is somebody going? to I mean, maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. That we have these worries when you have a special needs kid, and have that team that you can trust that is going to have your kids' back too. That would be my biggest piece of advice. And also, just to believe in the process. Like I said. A couple of years ago I thought the whole get Ethan a job was nothing but us stroking our own egos. You know, just I mean really, what kind of job is Ethan gonna have? Is he even gonna care? Is he even gonna understand? And I feel bad now that I have those thoughts, but I'm gonna be really honest. That was where I was at. So to believe in the process that yeah, these kids can have meaningful work, it's not just some state program to make all of us feel better because these people have jobs. Ethan does stuff that means stuff for him and he has a and has an extended social life which is important too because of his work so you know put yourself in there and and work hard because in the end it's very a very good thing for your kid. Very rewarding for him. Very rewarding I mean yeah Ethan has a job I mean, knowing Ethan has a job. He doesn't have a place that people coddle him so he can pretend like he has a job.
3: Ethan has a job. Usually we take this time in between clips to talk about what was said, but I don't think we can add anything to that. That was amazing. Ethan has a job. If you are interested in the seamless transition model, please reach out to your transition network facilitator.
2: We wanna take this time to thank Friend of the Pod, Donna Lowry, for collecting these amazing interviews. We want to thank all of the participants that lended their voices and their stories and supported Ethan along his path. And we also want to thank Sarah Statum, who joined us today to give us her input and her view and her lens on the seamless process.
3: We will catch you next time. And peace out, pod people. And be well. The Oregon Transition Podcast is brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network, with support from Vocational Rehabilitation and Oregon Department of Education.
2: All views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong to the individuals, not necessarily their supporting agency.
3: The Oregon Transition Podcast is produced by
2: Nicole Perdue,
3: Josh Barber, Mandy Younger,
2: and the podfather himself,
3: Lon Thornburg.
2: With additional interviews provided by members of the T-TAN.
3: Our theme music is composed by former transition student Boone Richter out of Brownsville, Oregon.
2: Additional music provided by Lon Thornburg.
3: For questions, comments, or episode ideas, please email us at Oregon transition Podcast at gmail.com.
2: And for all the latest OTP news, connect with us on Facebook.
6: The same. They, they just had become such a good, solid um, partner in Ethan's Corner that they they didn't see him as a problem to be managed or anything like this. By this point, Long Creek School saw him as a human being. I, I mean, in all of the challenges that I have had, the biggest one is to get people to see him as a, as a human being, right? Yeah. Right? He's not a problem, he's not symptoms, he's not a diagnosis, he's a person.